Welcome to Morning Report Top Stories, a selection of news from RNZ's morning news programme. The Government, Wellington City Council and the Greater Wellington Regional Council have agreed in principle to dump the $7.4 billion Let's Get Wellington moving. Some things will stay, others are added. Central Government will build and fund the Basin Reserve upgrade and a second Mount Victoria tunnel, and Wellington City Council will bring the Golden Mile project in-house. Bus corridors will also be a priority for the council, improving access to the airport and hospital. The Cycling Action Network is calling the change disgraceful, especially the loss of light rail running to Island Bay on the south coast. Patrick Morgan from the network says the government is dusting off old plans for the city. This is disgraceful planning from the government and it flies in the face of what Wellingtonians have consistently voted for, which is a compact city with less reliance on private vehicles, better walking, cycling, public transport, and affordable housing. The city's Chamber of Commerce is describing the axing of Let's Get Wellington moving as a mercy killing, but wants more clarity around the future of the Golden Mile. The council wants to remove cars from the main route through the city from Parliament to Courtney Place. The business lobby group is calling for a rethink. The chamber's chief executive, Simon Arkis, says there hasn't been a proper risk analysis on what will happen to business if it goes ahead in its present form. There was one very flimsy uh, risk analysis done. And so businesses are still living with uncertainty. The reality is you take out car parks, make the kind of changes that are proposed without understanding the risks, and you will see prosperity and the economy hit in the city. The next phase will begin early next year, putting in special vehicle lanes, wider footpaths, new shared spaces, planting and seating along the route. Wellington shop owner Nicola Cranfield is disappointed the Golden Mile project is still going ahead. They say, you know, we'd like to be able to catch public transport, but it just doesn't work. So they drive into the city and often they've got quite a long checklist. They might be going to the dentist or a lawyer and they've got all these other chores. And they're putting a lot of money into the city. And if it just gets too hard for them to get into the city, they'll take their business elsewhere. It's Wellington shop owner Nicola Cranfield. Well, a short time ago, I spoke to Wellington Mayor Tori Fano about the agreement to ditch Let's Get Wellington moving and the concessions made. I was a long supporter of Let's Get Wellington Moving and the outcome, so naturally I was disappointed. However, um, we've had a very constructive meeting with the government, with Minister Brown and um, Minister Bishop, and we've actually come to a middle ground, which I'm really pleased of. So being able to, uh, pleased about, so being able to retain the Golden Mile with with the commitment of funding uh, and commit to urban development around the second tunnel, as well as some bus priority work, is is a bit of a win. So while I'm disappointed to see the programme go, some of that work is still going to be used, which is a good thing. So some of it to date, though, has been a waste of time and money, has it? Um, I would say the programme took a lot longer than what we'd hoped. Um, and at least now with this, removing a layer of bureaucracy means we can um, get moving a lot quicker. Um, by bringing the Golden Mile project in-house into council, this is our bread and butter, um, we, we'll be able to get it done a lot quicker. You opposed uh, a second Mount Victoria car tunnel quite vehemently. So what has changed there? Um, I still oppose it, and I made that very clear with the government, and they accepted that as well. Um, but 
so I asked, as a result, can we please have a commitment to urban development if that is going ahead? They're going to pay for uh, 100% of the tunnel. So we've met each other halfway on that. What about those ideals, though, of, of lowering emissions, uh, rapid transport, the chance of light rail, rail may be? I mean, critics will say that you've sold out and essentially you just get some more roads. Well, yeah, I, I'm still committed to uh, projects like light rail. That is off the cards for this term, but not necessarily the future. We still have a very detailed business case that is of value, uh, but I've accepted that the government has made a call uh, and we couldn't proceed without their support. So you say this term, so you're hoping if there was a change of government, you might be able to resurrect these projects? Correct. Okay, you are now in charge of the Golden Mile. So, what? When can Wellingtonians expect to see some some action there? Um, it was planned to start mid next year. Uh, what I've asked the team is to go back and find some efficiencies, uh, some savings, and um, whether we can deliver things a lot faster. So, I hope to get a full briefing in, uh, in the new year, early new year, to see what changes we can make. And when you say faster. What are your time frames? What are you thinking? Oh, I'm just keen to get some shovels in the ground and provide some certainty uh, for everyone along that strip with a timeline and exactly what is being delivered. Um, you know, the difficulty with dealing with a, a third party is that it just took a lot longer to get that information. Now it's going to be a lot more instant. We're going to have a, a business advisory group established so we can ha- have that direct conversation about what's happening and we can keep businesses on board with what's actually happening. And when do you think that will happen? Early next year. That was Wellington's Mayor Tori Fano. Infrastructure and Housing Minister Chris Bishop was listening to that and joins us now. Tēnā Minister. You must have been pretty persuasive to get get this result. Uh, look, I think there's a shared bit of goodwill, actually. I think everyone in Wellington, from the city leadership, from the regional council and the, and the city council, everyone is just exhausted by the ongoing back and forth over Let's Get Wellington moving. I think there's a recognition, frankly, that it's been a bit of a disaster hasn't delivered a lot. A lot of time and money has been spent without a lot of progress. And I think the new government was a chance to just reset the relationship. So we had a really good meeting with Mia Fano and um, Councillor Darren Ponta, uh, Chair of the Regional Council this week. Um, and we've just agreed on a whole series of work programmes to go forward into the future to try and actually get things done for Wellington. And um, I'm feeling really positive about it. Given the extensive back and forth on this project, is is that why you conceded on the Golden Mile? You've been against that. Look, the Golden Mile, I think, is is not something. But the decision was made in the last um, term of government to allocate the money um, through the New Zealand Transport Agency. The board signed off on that. The money was allocated. Um, So, frankly, there's not a lot we can do about that. Uh, what we just said to the mayor was, look, you've you've really got a, an issue with businesses being affected who are unhappy about what you've designed. Um, there's a bit of social licence that's been lost. Um, no one's actually really opposed that I know of to uh, beautifying uh, the Golden Mile, to making it easier for walking and cycling, to making it easier for buses to go along the route. It's just how you do it. The question is not um, the, the overall concept. The question is how you do it. So. 
can you just go back and find some cost efficiencies? Can you work um, more closely with the affected businesses? And can you um, just have a bit of a rethink about what you're doing? So um, the mayor's agreed to do that on behalf of the council, which is good. Uh, and then the funding will flow. And then the key point is the point that the mayor made as well, which is that it's a city council project. So the government's out. The, the funding's gone from NZTA. It's been allocated to the city council. Um, they will then get on with it, and central government's got nothing more to do with the project. It's a city council project because that's what city councils do. They walk, they work on uh, projects to do with their local streets and local roads. Okay, so what are you going to do? Well, we are going to deliver what central government is responsible for, which is state highway projects. So we're going to build the second Mount Victoria uh, tunnel. Uh, it's a much-needed project. Again, not that much dispute in Wellington about the fact that we need a second Mount Victoria tunnel. Uh, the current tunnel is old um, and uh, we need greater capacity to the eastern suburbs of uh, Wellington, both to the airport but also to the eastern suburbs. So we're going to get on with building a second Mount Victoria tunnel uh, and that will be the key focus for us in government. But does that not just shuffle the congestion further down the line? Uh, well, you're all, we're also talking about four-laning um, at the other end once you go through the tunnel as well. So when you talk about the second Mount Victoria Tunnel project, it's uh, both the, the second tunnel but four-laning as well and improvements to the Basin Reserve as well, which again, you know, widespread consensus in Wellington that we need improvements at the Basin as well. When are you hoping to get shovels in the ground? We've made a commitment um, that we will have uh, work will start uh, by the end of this term, so that's uh, that's by you know whenever the election is in 2026. So work will start. So we've got a bit of a way to go. We've got um, consents to go through. We've got to get the final route. Got to get the uh, funding together. So there's a lot of things to do. Uh, but we we are extremely committed to this project. It's a key priority for the National Party and the uh, coalition government. Extremely committed. But what do the books say about how much is available to spend on it? Well, we uh, set aside a um, lot of money in the National Party transport uh, plan going into the election. Um, clearly, uh, we are going through a um, uh, you know, budget exercise at the moment. Um, Nicola Willis will be making announcements around the government's mini-budget um, before Christmas, uh, and then there'll be Budget 24 next year as well. So um, in due course, you will see the funding and the um, financing options for the tunnel and, and alongside of other range of projects that, that we want to get on with in government as well. Can you give me some clarity around what's happening at the Basin? Well, the, 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 the current plan is to work on basically where, ironically, where Let's Get Wellington Moving um, got to. Um, they had done some business case work and some um, design work. Um, the, the key is it's not a bridge uh, like was... Uh, was the failed sort of plan from back in 2012 and 2013. It is great separation of a type um, and it essentially fixes the Basin Reserve. There's no easy solution to the Basin because um, it's the Basin Reserve and um, <laughs> you can't get rid of it. Uh, it's, a, it's a massive cricket ground in the middle of Wellington City. So uh, there's no easy solution, but I think it's the so far it's the best of what's been come up with. Tina Kui, thank you very much. That's Infrastructure and Housing Minister Chris Bishop.
Private health care is pushing medical lab services to the brink in Auckland. The escalating pressure is complicating uh, what was already a very difficult rescue job at one of the country's busiest labs, Community Anatomic Pathology Services, or APS. Phil Pennington has been looking at what has been going on and he joins us now. Kia ora, good morning, Phil. Morning, Ingrid. What have you found? Well, it's a bit worrying if you read back about um, APS, Anatomic Pathology Services. I mean, this is a crucial lab. They handle like hundreds of thousands of tissues samples so you know when you go to the doctor or you have surgery or whatever and they're sending the thing through to diagnose your condition or disease these are the people the scientists the techs who find that out and this lab is crucial in the national system and it's been under all sorts of pressure if you look back two years there's a report disclosed here that we have under the OIA and it says the service is in crisis mode and without urgent investment there is a real risk that it will fail it says there the changes were of such urgency in 2021 it's recommended they be placed at the top of the agenda so they were really worried that APS was going to fall over um, it was an old lab, a cramped lab. They actually had staff exposed to formaldehyde, so safety issues. The good news here is that they have been doing this rescue job for the last two years. They have been making a difference, and if you like, they've gone to the brink. They have pulled it back, but that is proving very expensive because they are having to pay overtime. They're having to disperse some of the testing around other parts of the region, and the real problem is they still have an old and cramped lab there. Now they're moving on building a new one, um, but that's what what you see here is part of the problem in the whole system, that there are some private health costs here that are being pushed onto the public system, and the public system's struggling to cope. Okay, I was, I was going to ask about that, the, the differentiation between public and private, because these tests do need to be done. So mm. does it matter where, how they're being funnelled to the lab? It says here that, um, for instance, the demand, I mean, the, the, the scale of this, it's really been a steamroller for them. It shows that the planning back in 2015 when they set this up was completely inadequate. They just did not understand how the demand was going to go. They didn't forecast. It shows there wasn't even quality control. For about six years, Ingrid. I mean, that's pretty shocking from 2015 to 2021. It was a real scramble. Um, you see, even now, and that demand has, of course, just kept going. And part of it is, is that public hospitals are outsourcing more people to the private system to do surgery. So that's like elective care, mm. not the urgent stuff. When it gets done in private care, the samples go back to APS, which is part of the public system, and the money to set up APS came from the public purse, and the money for the new lab, which will be, well, at least tens of millions, if not more, hundreds of millions of dollars, will come from taxpayers. So there's this cross-subsidisation going from the public to the private, and private surgery has been going through the roof, partly because more people are getting private health insurance, if mm-hmm. they can afford it, because they're worried about the public system. So you see how it's in lockstep? Yeah. They can't really break a hold of that, but at least they have pulled APS back from the brink and they have got makeshift measures in place to try and get through to this point where they build a new lab. Yeah, so what are the stakes here? Because, um, I mean, talk about a lack of quality control. A test just not going to get done? Well turnaround times were getting worse and turnaround times is really key and of course your staff are just under all sorts of pressure and if you can't get your tissue sample in time that holds up all your treatment right? If you can't get a diagnosis you mm. don't know what's going on It says now Te Whatu Ora are saying that they have turned around the turnaround times, they are improving, they showed me a graph of that, it's just for a short period September, October. Quality is good they have about one problem a day of an incident, mostly where uh, the wrong 
doctor gets the sample back, but that's sorted and that's not a big deal. But you know, you're dealing with hundreds of thousands of samples. Um, it's got that feeling of walking on a knife edge, but I am hearing that within it that people are much more confident they are going to make it um, and that they can hold on until they get this thing sorted with a new lab. Great. Thank you very much for that. That was Phil Pennington looking at the pressure coming under uh, medical laboratories with uh, so many people needing tests. Mercy University is moving to sell or lease nearly all of its Albany campus as well as properties in its Wellington and Manawatu campuses. It has called for proposals from real estate companies to dispose of buildings and land valued at more than $150 million. The move follows restructuring that is removing some subjects altogether from the Auckland campus the university has occupied for 30 years. RNZ's education correspondent John Gerritsen is in the studio with me now. Tēnā how many properties does this involve? Yeah, quite a few. Um, nine at the um, Albany campus, including some lecture halls and uh, potentially a student recreation centre. Uh, four properties in Wellington, two of which we're not quite sure where they are, but others appear to be just um, sort of old villas and so forth on, on, on Tasman Street. Um, and nine in Manawatu, which appears to include at least one student village um, and also some farmland. Now, as you mentioned, the, the value is um, put at about $151 million, but that doesn't include the land value. And a couple of these properties, there's no value Put. So the total potential value is going to be well in excess of that. What has been the reaction from, from unions and representatives? Okay, well, it's, this is not very well known. Um, this request for proposals only went up um, just last week. I talked to one person who's involved with the tertiary education union and is very familiar with the Albany campus. They were quite shocked. They said, look, you know, this is potentially going to get rid of the vast majority of that campus. And, and they also felt that, oh, suddenly... This uh, restructuring that Massey's been through recently to move a lot of uh, subjects out of Albany and concentrate them in Manawatu, it sort of suddenly makes sense to them. And um, they're really worried that, you know, basically Massey's really heavily downsizing in Auckland in particular and, and, and potentially going to leave very little there. Yeah, what does it, what does it mean for Massey? Well, exactly. I mean, they've been losing money. They've been losing students. Uh, we're now at a point where foreign students are starting to come back. But if you, if you look at their student numbers, they're down to less than 17,000 equivalent full-time students. Um, they used to be around 19,000 or more. So they suffered quite a loss. And in Albany in particular, um, they used to have sort of 5,000, 6,000 students. They're down to 3,000 last year in terms of equivalent, equivalent full-time students. So it really does look like really cutting back and, and just trying to concentrate and, and stem those losses. And has Massey spoken about this? What, what do they have to say? Uh, we, we did get a statement from them uh, last week and they said, look, this is just business as normal. Um, universities do this all the time. We're just trying to look at sale or lease, you know, best use of these properties. But but the sums involved here are really eye-watering and I, you know, I, I haven't seen a sort of divestment on this level for a long time, if ever. Oh, kia ora. Thank you very much for that. That is RNZ's education correspondent, John Gerritsen, in our Wellington studio. And high temperatures mixed with severe weather warnings left some high and dry over the weekend, while others ducked for cover. Kaikoura Airport hit 32 degrees Celsius at 3pm yesterday, while Tiamaru reached 31 degrees, and Napier edged in at 30 degrees, 
while many others sat in the high 20s. I'm very jealous. At the same time, Christchurch residents were being warned about severe thunderstorms. So what's ahead for the week leading into Christmas? Lois Ferris is a Met Service meteorologist and joins me now. Tēnā For those who might be on holiday or doing the last of their Christmas shopping, what's this week look like? It is looking warm again, so we are going to see more of those warm temperatures, but they're not going to be the hot, dry temperatures that we might like to associate with summertime. We are seeing some warm air being dragged out of the Tasman Sea, so it is going to have that humidity with it. So if you are out and about uh, shopping, do wear, I guess, some, some clothing that you won't get too sweaty in if you're hustling and bustling around town. Over the weekend, so as I said, parts of the country were super sunny and hit over 30 degrees while others had those thunderstorm warnings and it was a very sticky weekend in Wellington. Will this kind of pattern continue? It does kind of look like that. We do have that potential for those very warm temperatures uh, through eastern parts of the country, but with um, some rain coming down from the Tasman Sea towards the end of this working week, which is going to bring with it uh, more of those sticky temperatures, but also some of that rain as well spreading across the country. But broadly speaking, across this week, most places do look to have at least some sort of run of uh, good weather. So if you are on holiday already, you'll just need to be looking into that forecast and making your plans around that, whether or not some rain will turn up at your place. There will be a lot of people waiting with bated breath, wondering whether they're going to be able to uh, sit up outside on Christmas Day. What are our chances? It's it's a real tricky one. All of last week I was looking every day and every day getting asked by the media and having what I thought was a pretty likely outcome with high pressure near our shores and it did look like some rain moving up the west coast, west coast of the South Island. And now that we're into the new week, we're getting closer and closer. And it looked like some of the weather features that are modelled as we get into Monday next week are maybe just moving a little bit faster. So we might not just see rain on the west coast of the South Island. It might even be spreading up into the North Island. But the typical summer hotspots, eastern parts of the South Island and the North Island parts of Bay of Plenty, do look like the most likely cases to have nice settled weather next Monday. But I mean, we are still a wee way out and the absolute details of the forecast will get fine-tuned as we move through this week. So last week I was saying that most people could get their outdoor furniture ready, but this week I'm a little bit tentative around that. So maybe wait a few more days through this week before you get out the cleaning gear. I have to say it's been very weird weather all round at the moment, don't you think? Well, I mean, I, I say this a lot, but December is a little bit of a cop-out when we think about summer weather. People just want it to be hot and dry and and great summer weather, but in December we do still have, and we've seen a lot of uh, systems coming up from the south, there's been a number of those cold southerly changes moving across the country, and that is kind of what we would tend to see through December, that more settled weather is more likely through January, February, even March, really. I'd say March weather is generally better than December weather. Uh, Thank you very much. That is Lewis Ferris from the Met Service. Well, Aucklanders struggling with the stress and trauma of storm-wrecked homes are having to wait up to four weeks for counselling. Some of them say they've hit rock bottom after learning they won't have certainty about a potential buyout until next year. All the while, their vacant houses are being repeatedly looted and vandalised. Auckland's recovery office says it is aware of of the unacceptable waiting list and more money is being given to counselling services as Christmas approaches. Amy Williams filed this report. 
Along Candia Road in Swanson, houses that flooded in January sit vacant and vandalised. Among them, the house Amrita Ujla owns. She's lost count of how many times it's been broken into, the light fittings and copper pipes stolen. She says it adds to the stress of being displaced. She's still paying a mortgage on the house she can't live in. But when she tried to access a counselling service for people in her position, the wait was too long. The wait was like four weeks and three days and the days wouldn't work and I'm like, I'm working, I still have to work. I can't go during week. And the first time I did it, it was like three weeks wait. I'm like, what? I tried multiple times. I just gave up at the end. Ms Ujla has been advised in a letter from Auckland Council she will not find out until late March if her house is eligible for a buyout and that more assessments are needed. Extremely disappointed because I thought this black cloud that I've been having for a good one year when waiting patiently is still going to carry on in the new years. And we're still broken as traumatised already multiple times. Auckland Council's recovery office has asked to Fatu order for more funding for the counselling service for displaced homeowners. Its community and social recovery lead, Linda Greenwich, says waiting lists have been unacceptably long. They were running out of the money that they originally got from government to offer these services. So we've really quickly put in place some contracts to make sure that we've got the right services in place for over the Christmas period. She says many people are struggling financially as they wait to hear if their homes will be bought out. The recovery office will have another funding round early next year to bring on more mental health services. Swanson resident Annabelle says she and her husband have both struggled with the trauma of the January flooding after the tiny home they were living in floated down the road. They've both accessed mental health support and it helped. It's so needed. A lot of people that have gone through this, yes, it's been 10 or so months now, but many people are still traumatised. I I know from personal experience after the first one, any time it rained heavily, I didn't sleep. Annabelle says the house on their property, which they were not living in because it had been damaged in previous flooding, is a wreck and the City Council had just told them it'll be next March or June before they know if they're getting a buyout. The house was looted the night after the January flooding and has been vandalised ten times since. They've smashed all the windows at the front of the house. They've broken in countless times. We actually got looted the night after the flood happened. That's, I think, what is getting people so upset with how long it's taking. Meanwhile, to ease the burden a little, the recovery office is offering storm-affected whānau vouchers ahead of Christmas. The government is certainly making good on its election promise of a pre-Christmas mini-budget this Wednesday. The announcement will coincide with Treasury's latest economic update. Finance Minister Nicola Willis has hinted the mini-budget will include cuts to backroom spending in the public service. Prime Minister Christopher Luxon joins us now. Kia ora, good morning. Good morning, Ingrid. I might start by just getting your thoughts on the scrapping of Let's Get Wellington Moving, another major infrastructure project that's been a long time in the making scrapped. Yeah, look, it's been an expensive flop. Um, I think Wellingtonians have paid, I think, over $160 million on consultants. So it was very good, you know, three weeks into our government to sit down and get to an accommodation with the 
Wellington City Council and also the, the regional Wellington Regional Council. And I think we've got to a very good place where we said, look, look, let's abandon, let's get Wellington moving. Uh, let's actually focus on actually doing something and actually move beyond the talk. I think there'd been just one set of traffic lights delivered close to the airport from memory. Uh, and so the government will get on with actually doing the second Mount you know, Victoria Tunnel and also the upgrade to the Basin Reserve. The regional council will focus on better public transport, and the local government and local just you know, local council will um, focus on things like the Golden Mile project. You have talked in the past, though, and been critical, I guess, of the of the issue of of the stop start nature of a lot of our infrastructure projects. How do you reconcile that? with pulling the plug on these big infrastructure projects. The Mayor well, has told have. us this morning that she is, she didn't say hoping, but in the event that a new government came into uh, power that she would be wanting to resurrect the Let's Get Wellington moving. So there's more chopping and changing. Oh, look, I disagree. I mean, let's be clear, we talk about doing things, we don't actually do things, uh, whether it's been Let's Get Wellington moving uh, or the Auckland Light Rail project. I mean, how on earth do you have six years of actually not even a single metre of track having been built, having been promised in 2021? So the bottom line is, look, you know, uh, other countries around the world, when they actually say they do stuff, they actually do it. And we need to do the same thing here. And we just seem to get together, have lots of talking and conversation and don't deliver a single thing. So, and then you've said you know, we're not going to deliver on that. Well, let's get Wellington moving. Let's be clear about it. It's been going on forever. Um, you deliver one set of traffic lights by the airport, $160 million worth of consultant spend, and no plan to go forward. What people want is the second Mount Vic Tunnel, uh, the Basin Reserve upgrade. That's what our government will focus on. We'll get onto that job to make sure State Highway 1 actually works and functions well. Um, the Regional Council can focus on better bus uh, lanes in particular, better bus uh, and public transport. And uh, the, the, the local government, you know, um, Wellington District Council can actually focus on its Golden Mile project and cycling congestion um, and also you know, engaging with local businesses. So no disrespect in grid, but I don't make any apologies because they're phantom projects. They haven't been happening. And um, you can we can talk about it and we can keep talking and talking, but the country needs us to move to doing, Mike. Okay, let's talk about the mini budget then. What should we be bracing for? Well, look, the economy is under major strain. There's been a hell of a mess that's been left behind by the previous government. Um, we've inherited an economy, I think, in bad shape. So the first thing is the HAIFU, what's called the half-year economic and fiscal update. Uh, on Wednesday, we'll actually present an up-to-date picture of the economy and the finances that we've inherited as a government. Uh, then, as Nicola Willis has been saying, we'll have a mini, mini, mini budget in our three weeks in government. Uh, we've been able to undertake some actions that we think will start to put us um, and restore some confidence in the economy and the management of those books. Um, and then obviously the big opportunity is in our budget, our major budget in May uh, to start that work in the new year as well. So in preparation for that. But already we saw last week, you know, we've had a project like the, the Cook Island Ferries that blew from $750 million out to over $3 billion um, and only one-fifth of that was actually the ships. Uh, we've had a $15 billion um, New Zealand upgrade shovel-ready project that the Auditor General reports it was abysmally managed. Uh, and we've had three of the last quarters, four quarters, actually with negative growth. So okay, so given, given those... Now we've got to go forward and, and get it moving. Given those problems or given the state of mm. the economy, are we going to see the plug pulled on, on more projects? 
Well, we're repealing things that make no sense, that actually aren't happening. Um, so you know, I make no apologies for pulling the plug on Let's Get Wellington moving or, or Auckland Light Rail ultimately as well. Uh, but what we are going to focus on is actually making sure we've got, you know, let's be clear how we've got to where we've got to. Government's wasteful spending. Okay, okay. No, we, we have heard a lot about that. Sorry to interrupt, but we, we are short on time. If if yeah. we look at then at what you were going to do, is, I mean, there's a real possibility, isn't there, that New Zealanders are actually going to feel worse off next year. We'll have, you know, unemployment's expected to rise. Uh, we've got the economy smaller than expected. New Zealanders could feel worse off. Well, we've got some tough decisions ahead, and this is a function of when you mismanage an economy as badly as it has been managed. And so, yes, unemployment's been rising because the economy's slowing and contracting. The economy's contracting because interest rates are too high. Interest rates are too high because inflation's too high. So that's why we're getting to the root cause of that, which is actually make sure the spending is really working and delivering outcomes, make sure that we're getting everybody focused on fighting inflation. That's why you saw us move very quickly get the Reserve Bank focused on a single target. We're only interested in in dropping inflation down below 3%. If we do that, we lower interest rates, we get the economy growing, we keep people in employment. So it's a very simple sort of uh, programme of what we've got to do. The mechanics. Okay, but the timing. When can New Zealanders expect to feel better off? I mean, the cost of living was a huge part of the election. When can they expect to feel better off under your government? (laughs) Well, it's been three three weeks trying to undo some damage caused over six years, so we are it will take time. But we're taking steps immediately, as you can see in the first three weeks, to say, look, we can we, we've got to work uh, consistently year in year out now for the next you know three, six, nine, twelve years to make sure we repair the damage that's been done. You don't just go from five billion of debt to a hundred billion dollars of debt and then try and find a way to pay that back down again. We're going to have to do that consistently by every decision we make, being very prudent, being very financially responsible about that. So it's about putting the discipline back into government spending again. Um, and if we do that job right, you know, that's how we start to repair the books. And that's ultimately how once we get a better set of books, that's how we can invest more and even more in public services that we want to support um, and get, get, get the economy that we need in New Zealand. Okay. And control. Just finally, as you mentioned, it hasn't been long. You're into your last week. You'll just be working through to the end of this week. Is, is that mm-hmm. the plan? Okay. Are you happy with what you've achieved? There has been a bit of pushback. Yeah, no, I think we've done really well. I think, you know, we've gone through an election that um, we won. We've actually ended up forming a government um, with two partners and two other parties. We've got a really aligned policy programme. Three days into a new government, we've got a 100-day action plan, 49 actions. We're powering our way through it, as you're seeing. Um, last week, we did a lot uh, to start to free up some of the red tape in the economy, and we'll continue to do the same this week. So, And we've got a lot more to do, and every week needs to be like that because we've got a lot to turn around in this country. This country hasn't been going well. We need to turn around. That's what we're here to do. How are you going to spend your Christmas break? Um, I'm going to grab a break between Christmas and New Year, and so I'll head to the beach and uh, get the T-shirt and shorts on and muck around with the family and... Um, and hopefully get a bit of fishing and it'll be lovely. Don't forget the jandals. You'll need it if the sand is hot. <laughs> that is a classic error. So, exactly, yes, slip, exactly. slip and slap. Okay, can appreciate you. Can I just say to, to you, thank you for the work that you've been doing this year and holding us all to account. And, um, and importantly, also thank you to your listeners. And I just wish everyone a chance to refresh and recharge. I know it's been a tough year. I know we've got some tough decisions together to make, but um, we've got a great country, we've got great potential. But at the moment, spend your time with your loved ones, your family, your friends, and make some new memories and, and have a great, great Christmas. Okay, and we're wishing you and yours uh, a wonderful festive season as well and uh, and a nice break. And we will catch you back in the new year, no doubt. Thank <laughs> we'll you very much. Again. Yes. <laughs> uh, that, right. is, that is Prime Minister Christopher Luxon. You've been listening to Morning Report Top Stories. 